Welcome to the Rich Conwell Golf Show. Um, we have a lot of different things to talk about this week. Big week in the world of golf, obviously, that we're going to look back on. And uh, we're going to see where this past week takes us in the future of golf because obviously there has been a colliding of worlds with the PGA Championship and there are some things that we really need. I, I don't think we, we need to do it, but I think some pe- the powers that be in the golf world are really going to have to start to measure out what they're doing and, and, the, and the weight or the power that is given to tours everywhere in the world, and I'm going to branch off on away from Live too. But and we're going to talk about tours all over the world because um, I'm going to throw a couple of little known facts in about the PGA Tour that could make for some interesting debate if you have 15 minutes and uh, you want to sit around and talk to some of your friends about it who are interested in it because it is an interesting topic. But first off, we're just going to start with the obvious, and that's Brooks Kepka. Um, anybody who does who thinks that Brooks Kepka is taking time off or taking it easy on the live tour is dead is dead wrong. Dead wrong. I mean, that was an awesome, awesome performance. And even when he hit it crookedly a few times, and even when it looked a little gray, within two swings. He was right back where he wanted to be. And the shot on 13, I think it was 13, where he drove the green, it was just that ball never moved in the air. That was just spot on. And everybody, I think, has probably hit a golf shot dead straight in their life and of their own. But can, can you imagine hitting one 310 or 330 on a line under that pressure. So, you know, shout out to Brooks Kepka. Um, overcame, has overcome some some kind of small personal tragedies lately. I think his great uncle was Dick Grote. Um, Dick Grote's obviously a very, very, very famous Western Pennsylvania. He's from Swissville, Pennsylvania. He's in top 10 player all time at Duke. And he's um, he passed away uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm sure that I know some of the golf professional friends of mine from up by Champion Lakes, which is Dick Lakes, Dick Groat's golf courses, um, had seen Brooks up there a few times, and I know he's been around there. So I'm sure it got a little personal for him, a little emotional for him. I also think I found out that he's going to have a baby. I don't think he has a whole lot to do with that at this point, but um, in the future he's going to. But most importantly, he has been the poster boy or the cauldron for Liv versus the PGA Tour. If you go back and look at what he has said, look at what comments he's made. He has not been damaging or demeaning or demoralizing or disrespectful to anybody. He just says, I think this is an opportunity for my family it's generational wealth, multi-generational wealth they offered him. You know, um, I had a, I have a friend of mine who's a golf professional up in Pittsburgh, and we were talking the other day and said, you know, could you imagine if somebody came to me and said, here's $200,000 to fly to Central America or 
the Middle East and teach two weeks of junior golf? Would you go? I I don't know too many people I know that wouldn't take $200,000 for two weeks. Uh, And oh, by the way, it's expenses paid. So that's all in your pocket. Uh, I'm not, I don't judge. I'll never be offered the opportunity to have $100 million to play 14 tour events plus prize money. But um, I, I think I think we have to give him a little bit of a break there. I also have to think we have to acknowledge that he understands this is a controversial situation. It's a controversial world. I, I also think that we have to respect the fact that he has not demoralized anybody or demeaned anybody or disrespected anybody. I think the other thing that should be celebrated is that it's been a couple of years. He's come back from some injuries. But I, I think the interesting thing is is to me, that his friends from third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade are still his friends. I think that is awesome. I am sure that everybody in in listening shot or earshot rather has heard of Sidney Crosby, and and they say that one of the best one of the best things about Sidney Crosby is if you were his friend in fourth grade, you're his friend now. And I, I think that. Um, I think that is wonderful. Another one who was like that on the world stage in athletics is LeBron James. LeBron James is very, very, very good friends with his high school teammates to this day. And it's been what feels like he's been playing in the NBA for 104 years, but it hasn't been 104, but it's been a good 20 years. And he is still friends with them. So, you know, kind of a shout out to Brooks's personality there. I mean, I think he's a loyal guy. I think he, I think he's really, really, really good. I think he really likes the Florida Panthers hockey team. As I'll tell you what, that was a pretty excited guy when that goal went in with 3.4 seconds to go. I haven't seen. I think he was more excited when Matthew Kachuk scored with 3.4 seconds to go than he was to to win the PGA Championship. Well, actually, a little low key, he was outwardly more excited than he was to win the PGA Championship. But I think it's, uh, I think it's. I think it's wonderful. I think it's good for golf. I think it's good for golf to have a dominant player. And I think he's the dominant player. Dustin Johnson could be the dominant player. I, I, I think that uh, I think there's some Rory. I would like Rory to, to be to be combative, you know, to compete. Jordan Spieth, I'd like him to compete. I just don't see him pulling that off. And Justin Thomas... Justin Thomas, while he's a more recent major winner, doesn't seem to really want to strike while the iron's hot. So I think that it's good for golf to have have a lead pony in Brooks Kepka. I also think that, and I realize I have more of a historical bent on these things than the average person, but Oak Hill is a tremendous facility, a tremendous facility. Uh, has great history, great history. It deserves all the accolades. It has 36 holes, but it deserves all the accolades that it that it received. Um, there, um, there are golf professional emeritus is a man named Craig Harmon. Craig Harmon is Butch Harmon's brother, you know, who taught Tiger and, and several others. Um, Craig Harmon's father won the 1947 Masters. I mean, there's tremendous history and lineage with the Harmon family. Uh, Craig is a uh, 
Craig's a, was a great golf professional. Great golf professional. He's retired now, but he's a great golf professional. I was fortunate enough to meet him a few times because I spent some time in the Western New York section, and he's just a down-to-earth, really, really, really helpful. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of people went to him in their situations trying to see if they could play the PGA Tour, and I give him credit. I believe he learned this from his father. He was incredibly honest with them, incredibly honest with them, even when it was a less-than-popular power in the room statement like I just don't think this is really going to work for you I, I tried I, I try to be that way with I had a conversation yesterday with a young man who wants to play professionally and we put him on the track and we'll put him on the path and, and we'll get there but it's just you have to be honest with people because it's not going to happen overnight so back to Brooks great playing um I think that I would be, obviously, it's hard to believe that the champion of a major event could be overshadowed, but I think they were. Uh, They were overshadowed by Michael Block. Michael Block is, as you know, a PGA professional from uh, Western United States, California, and and he just just captured everybody's hearts with the everyman. I've never met him. I know people that have. he is exactly what you see on TV. I think the one thing that was not trumpeted enough with him is the fact that he has played in 24 PGA Tour events prior to this. He's also played in seven majors. Now, he never made the cut in a major. But and this performance that he put on was just phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, this is... There's no analogy for it. Uh, um, This is, there's no analogy for it. There really isn't. You you can't. The only, the only analogy I can come up with is if you go up to the Washington Wild Things game and grab the starting pitcher and put put him on Yankee Stadium, and he pitches a complete game three hitter. I mean, literally. I mean, that's that's a. That's a tremendous accomplishment, and and Michael Block should be super, super proud of himself. I'm sure he is. I know he is. If he's not, he's not paying attention. Uh, the hole-in-one was just perfect icing on that cake, just perfect. I mean, that, and, and the way it went in, too, just, he just jars it, just jars it. It was just absolutely incredible. Uh, it was an incredible uh, week. Uh I think the golf course held up extremely well. That is hard. That golf course is hard. I mean, when they popped up 524, 522, par 4, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is big boy stuff now. This is big boy stuff. And we're going to talk about that aspect of the game of golf in a little bit. Uh, I, I think that, but I think in summary, the... The PGA Championship in its entirety was a great event. I think it's interesting that the PGA of America learned a really hard lesson in when you move a tour event or a, your champion, your major championship to May, and then you move it to Northeast and you have an hour and 18 minutes or 26-minute frost delay. Yeah, TV's not real happy. But at least it didn't happen on Saturday and Sunday. 
But um, that's it was just an incredible event. You know, great shout out to to Brooks Kepka. Unbelievable shout out to Michael Block and Oak Hill and, and, and Craig Harmon and all the people at at Oak Hill that did a tremendous job all week to host that and all the PGA professionals that that conducted the event. Uh, I was I was fortunate enough to see someone who I consider kind of a friend of mine announcing the 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 tea times and the players on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday afternoon. You know, Don Ray is the secretary, vice president, excuse me, of the PGA of America. He's a great guy. Uh, I, I spend time with him back and forth on social media and, and on the phone. It was great to see him. Uh, I, I told him don't give up his day job because Jim Nance is not threatened by him. But um, he did a really, really, really good job. And, and if, you know, they say the biggest fear in American society is public speaking. And I, he clearly did not have it. He clearly does not have that because he handled himself extremely, extremely well. Uh, before we end this segment, I wanted to make mention of an event we're having at Wheeling Country Club, still taking teams uh, for the Ron Mock Memorial Scholarship Golf Outing. Uh, it's on June 9th. It's a Friday. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't been in Wheeling long enough to know to know Ron Mock. I, I know his, his son, Eric. I, I know... I know his his legacy in athletics in the Ohio Valley. He's a massively influential supporter of youth sports or high school sports. They're youth sports. I mean, to be honest, they're 16 years old. Um, and he was a great supporter of wrestling, a great supporter of all sports. And his big thing was always, from what I've been told by his son, was always just play just go play not everybody's going to be the best wrestler basketball player golfer hockey player doesn't just play and he from what i've been told would have been really fond of my of my statement of there's a lot worse places to be than on a high school sports team and i see i i don't think i've ever mentioned this on this radio show that I am, I'm a high school basketball official in the state of Pennsylvania. There are teams now that cannot field or outfit uh, JV basketball teams. They cannot outfit JV varsity girls teams. And there's there are long dyed in the wool wrestling schools in Western Pennsylvania like Avella. Uh, McGuffey that are now combining schools to to field a team and and they just can't they just can't get just can't get participation which is I think some has to do with COVID but a lot has to do with just the general outlook on high school sports and so I want to call attention to somebody that did a tremendous job in the Ohio Valley for for high school sports and we're having a scholarship uh, memorial scholarship golf outing for Wheeling Country Club, and it's obviously the Ron Mock Memorial Scholarship golf outing. A um, lot of good food, a lot of good activity, a lot of good times, a um, lot of great memories with him. I, again, I, I never met him. I never met him, but I, I do know people who know him very, knew him very, very well, and they are very excited to support his memory and continue his legacy uh, with the Ron, Mo- Ron Mock Memorial Scholarship golf outing. So 
When we come back from, and I wanted to get a shout out to, to, to Mr. Mock's event. Uh, when I come back, we are going to talk about the, uh, the biggest difference in, in modern golf. And it's, it's going to be, I have a take on it that's a little different than you think it would be. So when we come back, uh, segment two of the Rich Conwell Golf Show is going to be basically all about your equipment and the equipment in the world today. Welcome back to the Rich Conwell Golf Show. In this segment, we're going to talk about a couple of different things that may or may not impact your game, but it's definitely impacting the game at its highest levels. And obviously, you can imagine where I'm going with this, and that is equipment. First off, I'm, I, I don't know if everybody has seen the announcement that they are they are working on limiting limiting the golf ball they've already limited the spring like effect or the bounce effect of drivers moi was bigger moment of inertia so let's stop and think why they would do this first thing the first reason is because is to protect golf courses there are golf courses that were built in 1902, 1923, Thousand more yards, fifteen hundred more yards. Not only that, then they have to reroute the entire golf course. Nobody can find that. Well, very few people can find that. So that's the reason for limiting equipment and the golf ball, because mainly the classic, traditional, old school golf courses, and not the ones you see on TV. Uh, Wheeling Country Club is one of them. There are Washington Country Club is one of them. Williamsport Country Club was a is a classic A.W. Tillinghouse golf course that is 6,300 yards, and there is no way they can make it longer. They are landlocked. They don't own the land. That's the problem. Country clubs bought land, golf golf courses bought land, built, maximized, never in their wildest dreams did they think, wow, that long par four in nineteen seventy is a driver and a wedge. I have members I'll give you an example. I have members at Wheeling Country Club that remember the eleventh hole as a driver. Five iron. Five iron. It is now driver nine iron. Nine iron for them. Uh, not for them now because, you know, obviously driver five iron was 35 years ago. But they can remember caddying as a youngster at 15, 16, 17. Driver fairway wood. Now it's driver nine iron. 
when I first started to watch golf, uh, the the one tournament you had to watch was uh, was the Masters. You had to watch it. That's back when they only showed the last six holes. Actually, I think they showed Amen Corner. They showed seven holes, 12 through 18. They would hit driver fairway wood on number 13, number 15. Um, the winner this year hit driver seven on number 15. They hit driver fairway wood to driver seven iron. And I'm not talking about 1902. I'm talking about 20 years ago. Chip Beck finished second in the Masters because the only way that he could reach the par 5 15th was with a fairway wood, and he was not comfortable going for it with a fairway wood. So he had a layup, and that was in the early 90s. It wasn't that long ago. So we have to, we don't have to, but if the, the classic golf courses that have our storied history woven into their turf, if they are to be protected and revered as they always should be, we need to do something to make them, give them teeth back in their, in their golf course. And before you say, I like to hit it really, really, really far, and, and I think it's good that I hit it as far as I do, and, no, and nobody should limit me. I agree. I agree. If you don't play professionally, if you don't play at, mm, I I would say I say professionally. I I I think I don't think anything should be limited. I think you should be able to hit it as far as you can. Matter of fact, I think they should make make it easier to hit it farther. But when you get to that level where you're competing against the best in the world and the best golf courses in the world and if you're if you are playing a golf course that is obsolete now you minimize the experience of the major championship you would not expect the Pittsburgh Penguins to win the Stanley Cup on 70 feet ice you wouldn't no matter how fast they are how big and fast they are how strong they are they're not going to shrink it. And they're not going to expand it. So now what we have to do is, rather than, rather than try to expand classic golf courses, we're going to do the next best thing. We're going to protect those golf courses by taking the weapons out of the hands of those who can do the most amount of damage with technology. And I'm going to start with the equipment, your golf clubs. First of all, 60-degree wedges and drivers have created a palatable difference in how the game's played today. On the everyday, every man, tomorrow afternoon, you know, $2 Nassau Sunday, whatever it is, on every man's or every woman's round of golf. I mean, literally everyone. First of all, a 60-degree wedge hits the ball straight up in the air, so no, no matter where you hit it around the green, you should be able to get it on the green. The old days of the sand wedge, that bounce and the way that the sand wedges were made, be difficult to do that. Not anymore. Drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, 
just this, just the absolute way they are designed, the way they are built, the way they actually have weighting, the way it's all designed to hit the golf ball farther. And if you don't think it's designed to hit a golf ball farther, then why would you hire somebody from NASA to run TaylorMade's research department? That's what they do. Callaway hires astrophysicists because they have to make it make the golf club move faster, lighter, less curve, less margin for error. I mean, I'm sorry, greater margin for error. How can how can they help you, help you, help you? So now we come to so equipment is 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 really, really, really I think it's been of course somebody fifty years ago would have said the same thing, but I think it's been run out now that that's under control by the rules of golf. It's under control by length and it's under control couple of different ways so we're not really going to spend a lot of time on equipment i am going to tell you though that we are going to talk about the golf ball if you today could call your shot and it's a 20 yard slice okay now listen to the, the analogy i use here a 20 yard slice if i gave you the golf ball Gave you the golf ball that Jack Nicholas won the 1986 Masters with. That's only 40 years ago, 34 years, 33 years ago, 34, 30, yeah, 34. Only that amount of time, you would slice it at least 50 yards. At least. Now, before you say you're crazy, no way, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I've heard that from tour players. So it's not, no, I'm not making anything up. Golf ball doesn't curve. So when the golf ball doesn't curve and you're not afraid of hitting something offline, if you do hit it offline, you're not afraid of it going out of, out of the zip code, swing faster. Negative repercussions or the negative reinforcement is not there. There's no negativity to it. So now... Bump to tour players. Why would they be cautious? They are just going to just rip at it. They're going to rip at it. The golf ball won't curve. It won't curve. For those guys. And a lot of a lot of curvature is gone for the average player. I I can tell you that I haven't played competitively competitively in quite a while but I did play some holes the other day on a golf course that I played competitively on 20 years ago and there's I tr- I hit a bad drive on one hole and I I tried the other day to get a golf ball there tried and you can't get it to curve there cuz the curve's taken out of it curve's taken out of it we have to we have to understand that the history of the game is at stake. The history of the game is at stake. We cannot allow, and I say allow, I mean it. We cannot allow classic golf courses to go dormant or to, to go unused or unrewarded with major championships because we cannot collar our technology. 
We have to be able to color our technology. We have to. And I would like, this is just kind of meant as a joke, but I would like for the golf world to not worry about our technology anymore and growing it farther and harder and faster and longer and maybe figure out a couple of random changing stations for electric cars because apparently they run out of gas in the bad places. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I just think that, I just think that we have to be on top of that. We have to be willing to embrace limiting, limiting the golf ball on TV. Just call it on TV. Limiting the golf ball. Now, here's the interesting thing. I mentioned this before. The PGA Tour will take the lead on this. It will actually provide them one more distance between them and live. Or one, yeah, one difference. The other thing that everybody has to understand is that this is why people say, why is the PGA Tour so powerful? Why do they suggest, have to make these suggestions about equipment? And then what are we going to do about those suggestions? Well, what, you don't, what nobody understands is the Canadian Tour, the Central American Tour, the Eurasian Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, and the PGA Tour are all owned by the PGA Tour. They're all owned by them. They're owned by the PGA Tour. The same entity owns them. So when they, and here is the issue, the issue is when those tours are producing players that are used to making 9, 10, 11, 12 birdies around because they don't, they're not concerned about the golf ball and its length because they just, they just go deep on it. All of a sudden, you take a 24-year-old college sophomore who's playing the Central American Tour, and he he's, he's averages nine birdies around because he can hit it so far, and we limit that. All of a sudden, we're going to find out who's a better player. We're going to find out real quick what that does for us. Real quick. Lee, my mother would be upset with me right now because I didn't use proper grammar. So we have to embrace the golf ball being limited for PGA Tour players. It has to be professional players. It has to be limited. Now, before anybody goes, that's crazy. There's two, there's two golf balls. There used to be two golf balls in this world. There was what was in America and what they called, what they called the, um, the European ball or the English ball. Smaller, went farther. Shockingly, America convinced England to go 1.68 inches in diameter and not smaller and not allow American players to hit a smaller golf ball farther. So that is my take on equipment. We have to get to the point where the golf ball is reined in. I don't mind how far it goes. I mind how little it spins. I mind how little it spins. If they hit a bad shot, they should be rewarded with bad results. There is no way around it. No way around it. So the bottom line is, I'm just saying, be prepared for the fight with Live PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour. Those players are going to be rapidly impacted or or quickly impacted. And that, in its own right, is a problem for anybody who has maybe a dog in the hunt or maybe doesn't. Again, this is uh, Rich Conwell's golf show. uh, And 
I wanted to just one more shout out. Ron Mott Memorial Scholarship, Golf Scholarship Fund, Golf Outing, excuse me, on June 9th at Wheeling Country Club. Uh, seats still available, teams still taking teams. And when we come back, we are going to talk about a topic of conversation that I had with my son and his friends the other day about something that seems to stir a lot of emotion. Welcome back to the Rich Conwell Golf Show. In the final segment of this week's show, we're going to cover a myriad of topics, a bunch of them. And, but I'm going to start off with the best player ever debate. And I have, for those of you who don't know, I have a 20-year-old son, and he is convinced that Tiger is the best player ever, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. I am not. I do not believe that. I will never believe that. But I have a I have a method that I determine in my mind who the best player ever was. And I would ask you to pick in your head who you think the three best players of all time were or are outside of Tiger Woods. We're going to leave Tiger on a shelf for a minute. So pick three. So I, I, my son did this the other day for me, so I'll just pick his three. He said Nicholas, he said Hogan, and he said Arnold Palmer. I said, okay, that's, that's fine. That, there is no, you know, unless you tell me that Patrick Cantlay is the best player in the world, there's no wrong answer. Well, not just him, but a regular tour player. So I said, that's great. That's fine. So I said, let's take them one at a time. So he said, Nicholas. So I said, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, and Billy Casper. I wrote those three names down. And then he said to me, okay, he already picked Hogan. So I wrote down the names Demerit, Sneed, Nelson. Then he said, Arnold Palmer. I said, okay. So I wrote down Trevino, Player, Gary Player, and, I don't know, Nicholas. said, so now I laid that out for him, and I said, look, the three others other than Tiger who's still on the shelf in this debate, the three names I put down after them, their name, whether it would be Palmer and those three, which I think I said Nicholas, I said Player, and I said Trevino, uh, or Byron Nelson's competition, I mean Hogan's competition, or or whoever, whomever. Every one of them played with at least two, usually three, top fifteen player of all time for the majority of their career. Majority of their career. Hogan played against Snead from nineteen. 19- 40, basically 42 to 1966. Hogan played against Jimmy Demerit, first three-time Masters champion for his entire career. Hogan, Hogan also played, competed against Palmer, competed against Nicholas, competed against the best players in the world. 
that are ranked 15 or below. And yet, my son didn't get it, and I said, pick another name. So he said, Nicholas. I said, okay. Palmer, Trevino, Player, Casper, and wait, and we shouldn't say his name, Greg Norman. Hogan. He played with Hogan in the 1966 U.S. Open. I'm sorry, 19... 19- 60 U.S. Open, excuse me, 1960 U.S. Open. Played against all those guys. So, and yet, you turn around, and and the third name we had was Hogan. We had had Nicholas. We had Palmer. Palmer played against Nicholas. Palmer played against Player. Palmer played against the same people that Nicholas did because they played against each other. Now, name me three guys in the top 15 all-time that Tiger's played against for a majority of his career or all of his career, and the answer is none. There are none. There are none. You can say Phil Mickelson, great. He's not top 15, in my opinion. I'll even slide you that one. We'll say he's 11 or 12 or 13. That's fine. Nobody else is in top 15 all-time. Nobody else. Nobody else. Okay, I'll expand it to twenty. He has not. He has. Tiger Woods has not played a majority of his career against anybody in the top twenty all time. A majority of his career. Keep in mind how old is he? He's forty something now, right? He's forty two, forty three. Okay, Mickelson is how old? Els is how old? These guys are not his competition. Nor were they his competition because they were on to the second chapter or third chapter of their playing careers when he was still in his first nobody can argue that tiger is a great player or not a great player could be because he is well i think he might be done now i think it might be the end now but he's a great player he's just not the best player of all time now of course having a conversation with a 20 year old son about this he is going to become quite heated and he's going to become combative so he says to me who's your best of all time so i listed him three i said one two three in no particular order i said hogan nicholas jones bobby jones founded the masters for all you don't know he said okay rank them i said okay same thing hogan nicholas jones i think jones would have beaten nicholas but i'm i'm sticking with nicholas because he played for a longer period of time and, and built a larger a larger catalog of events. So that's the that's the goat goat debate. Always remember you can only be judged against those who they tell you to play against. And I have no doubt Tiger has decimated his competition. No doubt. But you know who did not decimate their competition was Hogan, Nicholas, Jones, not because they couldn't. There was just too much of it. There was too much competition for them to do that. They couldn't focus on one. They focused on six or seven, especially Nicholas, Hogan, Palmer. They all played against each other. Then start to add people. Gary Player has won all four professional majors. Lee Trevino has won British Open, U.S. Open, PGAs. They're all-time. So when you eliminate Phil and you put him in that mix, he's not even as good as those guys. 
So there's the, that's the GOAT debate. Uh, my opinion, I think that Hogan is the best. I do have to say, I'm partial to him because I did get a chance to talk to him about the golf swing, things like that. Although I do have to say that I've also, I do also have to say that I've seen Jack Nicklaus make three birdies in a row in the U.S. Open at Oakmont in 1984. And that, 83, excuse me, that was incredible to watch. That was incredible to watch. But I still take Hogan. And I also believe that Bobby Jones could beat Hogan. Especially at match play, he would have beat him. Would have beaten him. In my opinion. Obviously, we'll never see it because they're not going to do it. But there's your GOAT debate for the week. Now, a couple of different things. This upcoming week, I'm involved in a very, very, very interesting event. A great event. A very, very, very great event. It's called the Starrett Cup. The Starrett Cup pits teams of 10 or 11 players against teams of 10 or 11 other players. We, you know, when we, we map it all out, we make it even as we can, and kind of like when you play wiffle ball in the back, you know, we can weight some and not others, but it's pretty even teams. And they will play a nine-hole scramble, and it is on. They want to win. This Starrett Cup is classic competition. It gets very personal. Things are said. Sometimes things are done. It is classic. It's the Starrett Cup, and it's named after a Pittsburgh City School, inner city middle school. And we will do it next Thursday, next Tuesday, excuse me, at next Wednesday. Wow. Next Wednesday at Scally's up by the airport. It's the Pittsburgh Youth Golf Foundation. They, they, these kids' behavior their, their way to outside activities. Uh, my, the money, uh, the team I have money on is my team, which I have a team of challenged kids. And I think we're going to win. Don't tell anybody, but we might cheat. But it is a great culmination or ending or graduation to a really cool four-week program. You know, we're lucky to have kids that, that have never felt a golf ball in their life. They're surprised it's hard. They are surprised when I tell them we go on the putting green up there and it's $25,000 for that turf. Those are numbers they can't fathom. They don't understand that that's actually steel in the, the shaft of the wedge or it's stainless steel in the head of the golf club. doesn't process with them. So we get to have an event with them, and it is going to be a ton of fun. There will be some, some smack talking, but not a lot of it because it gets personal in a hurry. But, um, but we're going to have a lot of fun. And we are not going to, if my team doesn't win, that's okay too. Because I know that they're going to play. I know, and the best part is that Scally's has ice cream. So when we're done, we're all having ice cream. And then I have to go back to the real world and go back to work. But I have to tell you that the Stara Cup is next week. I will give you the results uh, next week's show. And, uh, and we'll go from there. 
the couple other things, uh, small connections, small world things uh, in in the world of golf. The the Masters has has been conducted since 1934. The first winner was Horton Smith. Horton Smith was from Joplin, Missouri. The PGA of America used to have the Horton Smith Award for the golf professional that created education and fostered interaction between clubs and golf professionals. Unfortunately, it is no longer called the Bill Strauss Ball Award. Um, excuse me, the Horton Smith Award because Horton Smith was on the board of directors of the PGA of America and Unfortunately, we reached backwards and tried to revise a little bit of history about something they did back in 1959. So we kind of took that away from him. But uh, he did win the first Masters. He was also the head golf professional at Detroit Detroit Golf Club. And he he loved golf, not loved, but he he loved the golf business so much that not only did it do a lot for other golf professionals and increase their education and their knowledge, but he actually went to work every day for five years after having his lung removed due to, due to lung cancer. Uh, he's, he's a pretty special guy to me, but Horton Smith, I think a lot of them, every year I think about him in the, uh, in the spring because he was the first two-time Masters champion. He won the first one and the third one. And he bookended Gene Sarazen's double eagle at Augusta National. Uh, first... Um, I do not know who won the first British Open. I do not know that. And that's our next major. No, our next major is U.S. Open. I do know who won that one. Horace Rollins. Horace Rollins won the first U.S. Open. It was 36 holes, and they played it in one day. So two rounds of golf, one day, and you had a champion. First PGA Championship was won in 1916 by Long Jim Barnes. It was conducted at match play then, which means that when you make a five and I make a two, I'm one up on you. Uh, it's a very, 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 it's the only major professional championship that was has ever been contested in any format other than stroke play. Uh, match play was deemed to be the purest form of competition for a while. It is as man-on-man as you can get in in the golf business. I mean, in, in the golf, in golf tournaments, so that's why people like it. I will tell you this. I love match play. I also played high school golf at match play. Uh, they don't do that anymore either. So as we wrap up this week, I only have a couple more minutes. Um, uh, another trivia fact is that I know that the really cool thing about the PGA Tour now, and they will always have it, is the major names that are linked to tour events. Uh, Byron Nelson Classic, actually, obviously after him. Colonial. Colonial is, and that's next week, not this week, but next week. Colonial is Ben Hogan's tour event. He wasn't his tour event, but he was the name most closely associated with it. Obviously, Arnold Palmer and Bay Hill. Muirfield and and Jack Nicklaus. I know Tiger has an event. It can't have the momentum those do because it doesn't have the history those do. But uh, those stalwarts on the PGA Tour are absolutely just will always be hallmarks of the PGA Tour. Uh, And so lastly, before we sign off for the week, I wanted to give a shout out to Mother Nature and the weather we have. The next 10 days are going to be absolutely gorgeous for golf. 
If you want to play a round of golf, uh, I, I strongly suggest you do it. I, it. You will not find a better way to get outdoors than to play golf. You really won't. I mean, pickleball is hard. Playing basketball requires a lot of people. If you play golf, you can play golf by yourself. I also would tell you that if you really want to feel like a little kid, go out late at night and try to get one more hole in before the sun goes down. Just one more hole. You'll you you can you'll get yourself back to you get yourself back to being a little kid. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to me to this week. Um, I know I, I made a personal effort to accomplish something during during my talking this week, and I think I did a, a, a yeoman's job of it. And um, then maybe next week I'll mention what that was. But uh, next week we'll talk about more topics of the world of golf. And I thank all of you for listening to the Rich Conwell Golf Show.